make them take them, boys. Man, you remember when we started out, we had services in the gym? All right, so if I make this shot, I say we bring it back to the gym one more time. We're bringing it back to the gym, baby. That was rough, but in case you didn't catch it, we are throwing back our Easter services to the new gym at Elkmont High School this year. We're excited for you to get involved, and we're excited to have everybody together as we worship the risen Christ together. We'll see you there, church. See, I can make a shot. I appreciate Will doing that at the end there, just redeeming me, all right? It was in the script, okay, to act like you're falling through it. All right, whatever. Hey, I am fired up about Easter. Uh, a pastor friend of mine told me that every year, if you are leading in faith, every year, about every year, you should have an idea that scares you. Uh, this is my idea that scares me, all right? Um, and we've been looking at, talking about this actually for over a year now, uh, throwing our services back to the gym. And so we're excited about how God is going to use our Easter services. Uh, we're going to have a service on Saturday night at 630. Uh, that's going to be for a lot of our volunteers. We want everybody to be able to participate uh, in that. I know that many of you that are here may not have ever been a part of our service when we were setting up and tearing down in the old gym. Well, we are going to be in the new gym this year. We're going to give ourselves a little bit more time to set up because I bet we're not as efficient as we used to be. Uh, but man, I, I cannot wait to see what God does in that service. And so we'll be posting stuff out. You'll see it on a lot of promo, uh, on social media. We'll have signs out, all of those things. Make sure that you like, comment, and share the things that we post about Easter. We want to see as many people there as possible so they can hear about the hope of the gospel, okay? And so that's why we're doing it. That's why we're going back. Um, and, and, and due to the space constraints here in this building based on the numbers that we had last year. And so we want to do that. I think it's going to be really exciting. A lot of us will be able to worship together uh, with first and second services. So that'll be really cool. But uh, please make it a point. Now, here's why I said we, we let y'all know now. We literally have ministry teams that were in place that are no longer in place because we're no longer setting up and tearing down every Sunday. So there is a place for you, all right? If you are converting oxygen into carbon dioxide in this room, you can help pipe and drape, you can help stage, you can help all of these things. So we're going to be setting up Friday evening uh, into Saturday morning, not into, Friday evening and then Saturday morning. We're not pulling all-nighters here. Uh, and in Saturday morning morning in preparation for what God is going to do in our Easter services on Saturday night and Sunday morning. So 6.30 Saturday night, 10.30 on, uh, on Sunday morning. So 
we're looking forward to that. We hope you guys are as well. Make sure that you sign up to help on the next steps. And there's also going to be all the ministries that we currently have, hospitality and greeters, uh, first, first impressions. All of those things uh, are going to be still in place as well. So be listening out for your ministry heads as they communicate what is going to be required as well. All right? Man, let's get into God's Word this morning. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 14. John 14, we are in the middle of our Abide in Me sermon series that Christ is making a clear transition with the disciples. He has told them, listen, you have followed me for three plus years in this ministry. Now things are changing. There's a transition that is going to take place. Right, He got everybody on the same page. Last week, we talked about the predecessor of the Spirit. Before the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is really the theme of the entire farewell, farewell address, farewell discourse. Uh, these last words that Jesus, last sermon, if you will, that Jesus will preach before he experiences the cross, right? Death, burial, and resurrection. And so he is explaining what is about to take place. He is leaving he is going to the Father. But through him, through Christ, we have redemption. Don't be afraid. Don't be worrisome. Don't be bothered by this news because I am going to the Father. You have abided with me. You have followed me. Now there is a transition where you will abide in me. And so the Father is revealed to us through, through the ministry of Christ, right? We, we understand what we know, what we have access to the Holy Father. We just sang about the high king of heaven. Listen, the high king of heaven has no business dealing with people like me and you. He doesn't have any business dealing with us. But yet he has made an access to himself through the way, the truth, and the life. Through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, his ministry, is who reveals to us and gives us access to the Father. But Jesus is now going to explain something that I believe many of us in the church just have a difficult time wrapping our head around. And so because we have a difficult time wrapping our head around it, we just tend to avoid it. Right? But he doesn't leave us. When Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm, I'm going, you can't come with me, but I am not going to leave you forever. I will bring someone. I will send someone who will come alongside of you. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. You see, when any person announces in a relationship in our world, when any person announces that they are moving Right? They are going away. There is an angst inside of our humanity right, that immediately begins to know and understand that usually when there is separation in geography, there is separation in relationship as well. Right? If there is distance between two people, typically there is a disconnect at some level in relationship. I remember moving my kindergarten year to Lick Skillet, Alabama. Uh, we lived in Hazel Green, moved to the booming metropolis that is Lick Skillet, Alabama. And we moved right next door to a, a, a family that we grew to love, particularly 
one person, my best friend from kindergarten to about fifth or sixth grade when they moved away, his name was Wesley. And man, I remember so much about our time together. He was my best friend. We hung out all the time, next door neighbors, you know how that works, right? We were going over to each other's houses. I'll never forget, we rode a bus together. And so I remember coming home and we would always get out. His mom got off a little later, so my mom would watch us. And he, we would always get off at our house. We'd walk up the driveway and my mom, when they would, she would see the bus pull up, she'd put the Hungry Jack biscuits in the oven. Hungry Jack biscuits, anybody? Remember those? That, that was the original layered biscuit um, before Pillsbury got involved, right? And so, Hungry Jack Biscuits and Chunky Soup. Chunky Soup, I don't know why we had that combination, but it was like every single afternoon. And we'd come in and we'd put on our favorite show, which of course, every preteen boy's favorite show was Power Rangers, right? Power Rangers coming on. My dude was Jason, the Red Ranger, because he was loyal, he was the leader of the crew, and he was a bad mamma jamma. Now, the only person who was a better man than him was the Green Ranger. The problem with the Green Ranger, though, is he could be, like, influenced by evil sometime. And, man, that was my friend's favorite. And, yeah, okay, he well, whatever, he's more powerful, that's fine. But, like, he's serving the darkness for half of the time, right? And it would be, I, I'd love it, man. I'd love when the Green Ranger was turning bad. I'm like, yeah, Jason will get him out of it because Tommy's being stupid, right? And, I, man, I'll never forget. Like, I loved those times together. I remember we rode go, a golf cart, and he had a golf cart that, that we would ride around, uh, just battery-powered golf cart and he always and I don't know how he did it would manage to sling me off like my little self would just go rolling he'd turn and turn too hard and I'd just go rolling right and then I'd try to chase him down which I easily could because it was a golf cart right uh I got a four-wheeler and I remember I returned the favor I broke his arm on the four-wheeler we were riding and we hit a pothole that I in truth I didn't know was there but he you can't convince him of that uh and his arm broke and I'll, I'll never forget man like we had so much fun and then he moved away and y'all it was kind of awkward like we're men like we're exploring our testosterone still and like we're like we don't talk we knew we don't talk about our feelings and so I'm like man you're leaving on the inside and he's like buddy you're I'm going away and on the outside we're like hey all right man we'll see you know, like, we're, we're trying to play it cool because that's what guys do. And so I'll never forget, it was so awkward when he left. He came over and all the parents were crying and, and, and we were just like, okay, buddy. You know, like, and, and y'all, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I literally looked him up on Facebook because I was like, I don't know where this guy is. Like, I don't know if he still exists on planet Earth. And I can't find him on Facebook, so I'm still of the opinion maybe he's gone. Like, I don't know. I don't know where he's at. Um, but I remember, I remember those things and I remember that, knowing that that relationship would never be the same. When you see the disciples fielding, when Jesus fielding these questions that the disciples had, he's dealing with the angst that they have, right? What do you mean we can't go with you? I'll go with you anywhere. What do you mean? Where, where are you going? We don't know how to get where you're going, right? All of these questions deal with this separation. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. I am giving you something far greater than you can ever imagine. He would tell us later, and we'll talk about it in a few weeks, it is for your advantage, to your advantage, that I leave. But he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, in our context of ministry, man, we see things that happen in church world about the Holy Spirit that kind of weird us out sometimes, right? We, we see things that sometimes we like to try to 
avoid, right? We, 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 we know that it's associated with things like prophecy and tongues. We know that part of that is, is part of the Holy Spirit. We know that there's healings that happen as a part of that. And everybody is, you know, recalling like times when you wake up in the middle of the night and your TV's on and, and somebody is healing an entire row of people and things like that. And, and there's just a lot of that that we, in our minds, I believe we create a dissonance. Listen, the Holy Spirit is one of the members of the Trinity. He is totally God. He's not the twilight zone version of God. He is God. Did you know that 60%, according to Barna's research, 60% of church-going folks don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a true person? They don't believe that he's real. They believe that it's just a way for us to identify this part of God that helps us. But no, Scripture paints a very different picture. The Holy Spirit of God indwells our heart. And listen, what he's telling his disciples that is about to happen is exactly where we live. For us to misinterpret or misunderstand the Spirit is to live utterly without power and I would say without an identity in Christ. I would say you can't live in an identity found in Christ if you don't understand what the Holy Spirit does in my life. And in your life as well. When you read through, I'm, I was reading through Deuteronomy, now I'm reading through Luke in my quiet time. It astounds me how many things the disciples just didn't get about Jesus. Have you ever read that and thought that? Like, I mean, you're walking with the dude every single day. Like, you're seeing cool stuff that he's doing all the time. In fact, there's probably much of it. Uh, one gospel account tells us that if, if, the heavens were a scroll, there would not be enough room to write all the things that Jesus did in his life. So we only get snippets. We get like the social media version of all the stuff that Jesus did. We don't even have it all. They see that stuff on the daily, and every time he does something, they're like, no way. Do y'all see that? Like in scripture, the disciples are constantly dealing with like faith. What matter of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Right? They're constantly being taken aback. Listen, and until the Holy Spirit comes, they are really clueless exactly into what Jesus, who Jesus really is. Why? Because they are lacking the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would dwell in Christ with the disciples, but they have misunderstood. They didn't understand exactly what was going on until the Holy Spirit invaded their hearts. And when it invaded their hearts, it made all the difference. While Christ reveals the Father to us, while Christ gives us access to the Father, it is the Holy Spirit that truly makes known Christ and His Word to us. It is the role of the Holy Spirit to bring us to Jesus. And so what does the Holy Spirit do? What is his work? What does that look like in our life? It is the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit within a believer that sets them apart from the world and is the difference in our life. To misunderstand the Spirit, to not understand what the Spirit is and the role of the Spirit and to have connection with the Spirit. Maybe that's a better way to put it. To, to have connection, to not have connection with the Spirit is to not to be set apart from the, from the rest of the world. There is no being set apart without the work of the Holy Spirit. J.I. Packer says this, incredible pastor. 
and teacher says, Were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel. There would be no faith. There would be no church. No Christianity in the world at all. Literally, without the Holy Spirit, Christianity cannot happen. We are powerless to pull off what Christ has called us, what God had the Father, the high King of heaven, what he has called us to pull off outside of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain it this way. My wife, uh, the other day, and disclaimer, this is not on her, this is on me because I am a dummy, Okay. Last weekend, I had a little bit going on. We had our D-Now, um, you know, bunch of prepubescent teenagers at my house, uh, hanging out, having a good time. We had a lot of fun, but it was crazy, all right? Well, my wife goes and goes shopping at one of these points in the weekend. And while she's there, she knows that my daughter needs ball stuff. You see, my daughter is in the three- and four-year-old developmental league at Elkmont, which let me tell you, I don't care what romanticized views you have of that. If you are coaching that, you are ready to pull your hair out, right? Like everybody, all the parents are like, oh, this is adorable. And all the, parents, all the coaches are like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? It was terrible. It was like herding turtles, man. It was awful. But my daughter's playing, right? And so my, my wife goes and, like, they're girls, right? They're going to relate to each other at a different level. And my wife picks her out the coolest gear of any girl alive. Y'all, she has got a Barbie pink bat. She has got a Barbie pink helmet. She has got Barbie pink cleats. She even got a Barbie pink bag, like a, a ball bag for all of her stuff, along with the most estrogen-provoking glove you have ever seen in your entire life, right? Purple and pink, come on now, like it is like Barbie Beach Cruiser version of baseball, man, like this is awesome. And I remember us trying out all the equipment, right? That first practice, she gets her bat and she slings it, everything's going good. And then we go into the field, you know, which is operative, they whatever they're just they're just chasing the ball around in a pack but i put I go to put the glove on her and i realize there is something terribly wrong my daughter is right-handed and i start putting on this glove on my daughter and i realize well that thumb hole's not where it's supposed to be my wife has purchased a left-handed glove for our right-handed daughter and y'all it ain't on her. It's on me. In fact, she's had multiple women come from the first service and say, I'd have done the same thing. She's like, hey, here's a glove. It's pink. It's perfect. They, they love it. She loves it. Let's great. Let's go, right? And having no idea that there's two different sides of the glove. And I'm thinking, how do you mess up baseball stuff? Like, yeah, just get it. Oh, it's pink. Oh, that'll be adorable. It'll make beautiful pictures. And it did. Let me tell you what it doesn't do. It doesn't make for effective gamemanship on the field. Because my daughter then, I made a horrible miscalculation. Once I recognized, oh, this is the wrong hand, I say, hey, baby, we're not going to use this right now. And I throw this glove away. And I say, here's this brown glove. This brown and black glove that's going to fit on your hand is going to help you to play exactly how the game was intended. What did, was her response? I don't want a brown glove. She loses it. Y'all, practice over. 
Okay? We don't get her out of puddles the rest of the evening. I mean, she is done. Why? Because it's not what she wanted, right? And so I remember talking to my wife, and she told me. She said, Alan, I don't know what to get. And I'm like, just get it. Just, just do it. Just go and purchase things that she's going to like. I left her. I, I left her. I, I left her powerless to make those decisions, not realizing how wrong you can get something like a baseball glove. And I think about that with the role of the Holy Spirit. You see, what Jesus could have done is he could have came, lived a sinless life, been a perfect example to us, died, been buried, and risen from the dead, and he could have thrown deuces. He said, all right, guys, work it out. Similar to how I did to my wife, right? Same situation. Work it out. Good luck. And y'all, had he done that, we'd have made a fool of ourselves. We would have been ill-equipped to ever do anything that was even remotely approaching salvation and redemption. But no, Jesus says, I am not leaving you alone. And so look at the role of the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Spirit enlightens us. The Spirit enlightens Right? Literally, my wife lacked the knowledge of the game of baseball and, and of, of, of how things work in order to pull off what I was asking her, the task I was asking her to complete. By the way, that's not negligence on her part, it's negligence on my part. But Jesus didn't leave us in this same lurch. Listen to John 14, 15 through 20. If you love me, keep my commands. Now you could write a whole sermon on that verse right there. In fact, people have. They've written a self-help gospel that says you are to look at the example of Jesus and you are to try to live your life like him, following his commandments. If you love God, if I love God, then I will do everything he has asked me to do. If we have this understanding, what we have is religion. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? So I should try as hard as I can to obey what God has for me. No, to do that is to miss what follows, right? Listen to verse 16. And I will ask the Father. The command is, if you love me, keep my commands. But he will give you another helper. He will provide another, meaning of the same kind. Jesus was a helper to get us to the Father. Now Jesus is providing for us. God is sending to us another helper, meaning of the same substance of God. Another helper to be with you, not for three years, not for a span of time, not for a little bit, but to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. The spirit of truth, the world doesn't get it. The world doesn't understand it. The the world it will not make sense to because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you, right? Not abiding with you, but abiding in you. He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. And there's nothing more encouraging in all the world to know that God has not left us alone. I don't care what you feel. I don't care how, what you're going through. You are not alone. 
He is for you, and he, is a made, he has made a way for you to be with him. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, while the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Tell him, right, death isn't the end. Because I live, you will live. My new life, I'm raised to walk. I'm buried in Christ's baptism, but I'm raised to walk in newness of life. In the day that you will know, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. What he is saying is this person, by the way, the Holy Spirit is that, He is not some mystical creature. He is not some embodiment of some ideal. He is the third part of the Trinity. He is all God, just as the Father, just as the Son is all God. And he is a distinct person as well inside the Trinity. He is a person. He is a he Right, And he is working on our behalf. And the Holy Spirit is is the secret sauce to allow us to live a called out life. So who is he? He is another like substance of God helper. The word in the Greek is parakletos. Parakletos, it is a legal term, similar to like a paralegal who would come alongside and assist you, who would give you information. The Holy Spirit enlightens us. He gives us truth that we can then apply to our life, right? He has an effectual call and an efficient call. He has an effectual call that brings us to Jesus that we, don't, we, don't, we never came to Christ. You didn't come to Christ Because you found yourself in a very well-reasoned argument to come to Jesus. You didn't do a pros and cons list to being a follower of Jesus. It's not something you arrived at. It's not something that just made sense to you one day and you reached an epiphany and you just decided to follow Jesus. No, you were not the initiator in that relationship. The Holy Spirit, the lover of your soul, wooed you into a relationship with Jesus. This is his effectual call. He has called you out, right? He has given you the information. He is walking alongside of you. The word parakletos is a compound word literally meaning to be called alongside. So the Father called the Holy Spirit to walk alongside you. As you live out what Christ has called you to live. Your translation may, call, may, may say an encourager, the encourager or the comforter. And they're not comforting and encouraging in the, in the sense of, hey, buddy, at least you tried. Or, hey, man, I'm so sorry to hear about the loss. It is comfort because he is providing information for you to succeed in the task that you have been given. I have vital intel. Through the Holy Spirit, he enlightens our heart. He shows us truth. And so that's what he calls himself, right? The spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit, in your notes, unlocks the truth about God and his words. He is the key that unlocks Scripture. I love as a pastor seeing people get God's Word. Seeing people devour God's Word and having God's Word speak to them. The truth of God directly into their life. But y'all, just because you read God's Word doesn't mean you understand God's Word. 
In fact, there are academics that as an exercise, an intellectual exercise, have not only learned God's word, have not only read God's word, but have studied and memorized God's word. Memorized it for information, memorized it for culture, memorized it for, to, uh, for apologetics toward their worldly doctrine, right? Or whatever the case may be. You can read God's word. There is a way for you to memorize God's word and never truly to read God's word. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not involved. It is the Holy Spirit of God that works in partnership with the Holy Word of God that enlightens our hearts and our minds to the revelation of God through the person of Jesus Christ. This is how it works. And so if, let, me, let me just encourage you. If scripture is closed to you, right? If you read Romans and you've, you, you look back on it and you never really read Romans, right? You can read Romans without actually reading Romans is what Matt Chandler says, right? You can read scripture, memorize scripture, think you understand it at an intellectual level, but if the Holy Spirit hasn't done his work, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, scripture is closed. It is not truth. It's just information. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He is the one that identifies, that illuminates. He is the lamp to our feet and the light into our path. He is what turns the light on as we study God's word. And so let me encourage you. Number one, if, if scripture is close to you and it is a riddle and it is a bafflement to you, if that is the case, maybe you need to look at whether or not you possess the Holy Spirit in your life. Now there is growth that has to happen. There is seeking. You don't just read and go, I didn't understand that. Slam, right? There's a seeking process that we must do, but it's the Holy Spirit of God that reveals those things to us. You came to Christ because Christ wooed you. God the Father wooed you through the work of the Holy Spirit working in your life and then eventually making his way into your life. And if scripture is close to you, then the first thing that I would do as I read God's word is I would ask God's Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. God, I'm about to read your word. I know it's truth. Holy Spirit, illuminate your word to me. Make it clear. Enlighten me as to what you are doing through your word. The Holy Spirit, his work is that it enlightens us. It unlocks the truth about God and his word. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us, comforting and encouraging by identifying into our heart how God the Father has revealed himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And then we have the opportunity to respond to that love. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, you can memorize the whole Bible without truly reading the Bible. And just because you don't like a word, right? Because the Holy Spirit, it's the, the Spirit and the Word are confronting, right? There's a popular belief that the truth, truth is what's in us and it's fluid. It changes because it's in us. Can I tell you, according to this, if the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, that tells me that truth is outside of me. And it's not fluid because I can't change it. It is fixed. 
And so it's truth. It's by nature true. In every instance, regardless of what I think about it, whether I like it or I don't, not every word we hear is a word from God. It's the spirit of truth that sheds light into our soul, that moves our hands and our feet to obedience. The second thing is the Spirit enables us. The Spirit enables. Listen, because of the lack of knowledge and understanding and information, the experience that my wife got in picking out sports stuff for our daughter was one of recognizing her powerlessness, right? Recognizing she didn't have the tools to pull it off. Well, listen, after he said, now the spirit of truth is going to guide you, the spirit of truth is going to illuminate things to you, listen what he goes into. John 14, 21 through 25. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So then he starts getting into the religion of it, right? Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest my to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? What is he saying? How are you going to reveal yourself to a small group of people and not reveal it to everybody? How does that work? Listen how Jesus responds. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. I will abide in him. I will set up residence within them. The way that we are different is the spirit of God abides within us. It's what changes everything. And yeah, that is seen in the change of our behavior, but he has fundamentally changed our identity. He has made us new. He has bent our heart toward kingdom purposes, not temporary pleasures. This is what the Holy Spirit has done. In short, the Holy Spirit provides the power through which to lo- that love and obedience to God are possible. It's not possible outside the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. If anyone, um, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that, I, that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. You don't understand this yet, but you will. Do you know what the day of Pentecost was? It was the light bulb moment for the church. Oh, this is what this means. Remember on the road to Emmaus, what the two walking said, that were walking with Christ and the Holy Spirit came upon them after they had had a talk with Jesus, right? They were so oblivious to who Jesus was, they didn't even recognize him, right? As he was walking with them to Emmaus, sat with them, ate with them, and then when he left, what they say? Did not our hearts burn within us as he opened the scripture to us? What was the difference? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit burned it in their hearts and they saw it in a new way. They had finally read the Bible and actually read the Bible in the context of a relationship through the Holy Spirit purchased through the Son. This is, this is what Christ has done for us, right? And so he provides the power. Listen, for him to say, hey, you need to do everything that I tell you to do without giving you the power to do it is just as, is just as futile as me asking my wife to go pick up sports equipment, right? I don't, I don't, I've not given her the power to pull it off. 
That leads to frustration. That leads to having to go back and redo things, right? That leads to going and purchasing again a glove that actually fits on the right hand. But the Holy Spirit will teach us. He will not just teach us, but he will enable us. The power of God comes through the person of the Holy Spirit. And he reveals Christ to us. 1 John 4, 2 through 3. You can read it up on the note. It'll be on your notes. Listen to what it says. By this you know that the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess this, that Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. What does he say? He's saying that the Holy Spirit loves him some Jesus. And so how do you know that it's the Holy Spirit? It's because it is revealing Jesus. It is revealing God. It is revealing Hope, it is revealing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as that is revealed to our hearts and our minds supernaturally, through the power of God, we then have power to repent. We have power to respond. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. The rest of the world, when they read God's word, they look at something like the life of Jesus and they go, man... Jesus set a great example. We should try to be as good as he is. Right? Even some of you in the church may believe that's your role. When you read scripture, it's to follow Jesus' good example. Can I tell you, that is not the intent of the Gospels. The intent of the Gospels is not to paint a beautiful picture of how good Jesus was so that we can be beautiful little pictures of who Jesus was. That is not the point of the gospel. Listen to what Matt Chandler says about this. The invitation to obedience is not to observe the life of Christ and to try to measure up to him. But through the Holy Spirit, it is to experience the Christ life lived out in our life. This is not an effort on our part. This is an experience that Christ has given us the opportunity to experience. So we don't look at the example of Jesus and go, man, I got to be really good. Oh gosh, when I failed here, I need to be more like the example of Jesus. Our, Our response is, look what Jesus purchased for us. We receive it and then we are transformed into his likeness as we go. His calling has provided us the truth, the enlightenment, the information to how to find a relationship with Christ. And then the Holy Spirit has given us the power to live the life of obedience. The Holy Spirit lives obedience through us. Not us mustering obedience in and of ourselves. It's an identity issue. It is not an ability issue. Do you have the identity of being in Christ and Christ in you? This is the difference. It's not following Christ. It's not walking with Jesus. It is being in Christ. And whoever is in Christ, Corinthians, he is a new creation. From the jump, you are new. So the question is, has Christ made you new? Listen to this. Not only that, but the Spirit, thirdly, the Spirit emboldens us. The Spirit emboldens us to live the life 
that we are called to live. Listen to verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Did you remember it? Do you bring it to your remembrance? No, the Holy Spirit does, right? He brings all of those things. He teaches us all of those things. He teaches it right into our heart, into our spirit, to bring to remembrance all the things that I've said to you. And what does he say there? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you know what he's telling his disciples? This world will give you reason to be unpeaceful. The world and its resources will bring us to unsettling conclusions. To look at the world around you and evaluate how your life is going to look on this earth. To look outside of a relationship with Christ and look at it carnally is going to be unsettling. In fact, this is such an important point that all of the Jews, every time they greeted one another or they left one another, they would respond one way. Shalom. The word is peace, but it's not just peace in like a... Ah, absence of middle schoolers at your house, peace, right? It's not just that. The word literally means completeness or wholeness. That God's peace will be in your heart and in your life. So it's not something that comes from external circumstances. It's not because there is not chaos going on in the world around you. It is something that is mustered by the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. That in a world of chaos, you are complete and content. Because you got something the world doesn't have. This is what he offers. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but as I give. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe says. The world bases its peace on its resources, while God's peace depends on relationship. Unsaved people enjoy peace when there is an absence of trouble. Right When the bills are getting paid, when the gas prices are falling, right when their selected leader that they would like is in power, when there's no unrest and war on the horizon, that is when the world has peace. Christians, however, enjoy peace in spite of trouble because of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. This is how we are made complete. The Holy Spirit of God emboldens us. And y'all, when we are at peace, when we are made complete, then we will share. Listen to what he says. You've heard me say, I'm going away from you and I will come to you. If, you. if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Holy smoke! Even now, the armies, even now, the
the soldiers are bearing down on Gethsemane, getting ready to throw me in prison, getting ready to crucify me, getting ready to kill me. Even now the enemy is coming. We don't know unrest like what Jesus was experiencing, physical unrest in the world and in his circumstances. Everything in your life, disciples, is about to change. But what does he say? He has no claim on me. Jesus, in facing chaos, had no fear, had perfect contentment and peace because the enemy had no claim on him. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. That the world may know. Do you know the result of peace? In your notes, the Holy Spirit encourages believers with peace. That is an encouragement to us that we can have peace outside our circumstances, outside our loss, outside of our hurt. The Holy Spirit encourages believers in peace in order that they preach peace. When you are at peace in a world that is chaotic, it looks crazy to a world in chaos. And so then we have the opportunity to say, though the enemy is coming, I'm at peace. I'm just doing what the Father has commanded me to do. To have peace is to preach peace. And if, Christ, if, God, if Satan can get you so tied up in understanding or knowing if you are a child of God, you know what he's done? He has crippled you for the kingdom of God. If, if he can get you so preoccupied with trying to understand, man, do I have a relationship with Christ or do I not? Like, am I really saved or am I not? Man, maybe that's a doubt that you have been dealing with for a really, really, really long time. Can I tell you what you're not doing? I know this about you. If you don't have peace inside of you, you are not going to be communicating peace to a lost and dying world. And so it's time to settle it. It's time to settle it. Today, as you feel the Holy Spirit drawing you into a relationship with Christ, it's time to put a line in the sand. It's time to settle that you are a child of God, to put your faith and your trust into him as the Holy Spirit has initiated this relationship. Would you just respond to it? He has enlightened you. He's given you the information. He has, he has given you uh, the enablement to do so the power to do so if you would just respond to him you can experience the peace that he offers through his son and so with every head and heart bowed in this place he doesn't leave us as orphans he doesn't leave us as people ill-equipped to do the task that we are called to do but through relationship in a world of chaos and unrest, we can have peace. He has empowered us. He has encouraged our spirit to live. He's emboldened us to preach. Listen, we're talking in the men's group. Two weeks ago, we were talking in the men's group. By the way, they meet tonight. And men, if you're not there and you're not a part of that, you need to be. We were talking about how God 
how in all the chaos of the world, the church has taken the opposite stance that we were supposed to take. We've sounded a retreat. We've retreated into our homes. We've retreated into our families. We've retreated into obscurity. We've retreated into laziness. And God has called us all along to have peace and uncertainty. It is his church that are called out by the Holy Spirit who has been called alongside to be called out to be different from the world. And so if you're here and you don't have that peace that passes all understanding in your life, the shalom of God, the wholeness and completeness that is not found in the law but is found in the love of Christ that pursued you and pursued me beyond even the cross and the grave, but has pursued us even today through the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing you into relationship with Him. If you're here and you don't have that relationship, please don't leave. Please don't let this moment slip by without letting somebody know. Somebody know talking and having a conversation that matters with somebody about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ made available to you not because you earned it but because God loved you enough to pursue you with it. Would you just respond to that? It's by grace we've been saved through faith. That would be our posture today. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're the most important person in this room. Would you come and experience the peace of God in the middle of the unrest that the world has provided? Maybe you're here and maybe you know that you have a relationship with Christ, but man, the world has gotten loud. The world has gotten distracting and the world has shifted your priorities. Maybe you need to come today. Maybe you need to find a place at this altar. Maybe you need to pray for yourself. Maybe you need to pray for somebody else that you see these priorities shifting in their life. Maybe you need to pray for someone's salvation. Listen, this altar is open. If you feel God leading you to come and to do business with him in prayer, please don't quench that. Please don't quench that spirit. Respond to him. Bow down before him and make your request known. But Whatever the spirit would lead you to do in this time of invitation, I pray that you would respond as he leads he leads Father have your will and way in our hearts and in our lives and if you have your will in our hearts then you'll have your will in this place so Father let us be motivated moved by your enlightening spirit of truth God your enabling power through your Holy Spirit and God through emboldening us to be confident proclaimers of your good news I pray that we would align ourselves now to that in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing? If that's you and you need to respond in any way, pray that you would come, find this center aisle, find me near the front. I'd love to talk to you about any decision that you need to make for Christ. Would you come as the Spirit leads?